Tag Box Talk, and this is Horse Stories with a Purpose. Who are we? We are equine educators, but we are owners. We are judges. We are competitors. We are coaches. We are volunteers. We are moms. We are horse owners just like you, and we want to share our horse stories with a purpose. Welcome to Extension Horses Tack Box Talk Series, Horse Stories with a Purpose. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Heine with Oklahoma State University. Um, and today we have a, a new guest, uh, Abby Schuft, who is an extension educator actually in poultry in Minnesota, but she's working on her PhD in animal biosecurity. So really um, having a great guest with us today. So welcome, Abby. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. So uh, this podcast, we've kind of been trying to do some barn fire prevention um, information for horse owners to make sure that they never have to really go through this tragedy. And Abby's here, un- unfortunately, to kind of share her personal experience because she, you have lived through actually a barn fire with horses. So Abby, I'm just going to essentially uh, let you take the reins here a little bit and, and just tell us what happened. Well, before my career in extension started, um, I worked in the horse industry professionally for 11 years out of undergrad. And um, I had started what I considered to be my dream job. And growing up as a horse kid um, and studying agriculture at the U of M, I, I realized training horses wasn't for me and I want, but I needed to be in the industry somehow to still be able to fuel my passion with horses. And, um, there was a saddlebred breeding farm near my hometown, um, which had a world-class stallion and, um, equally world-class level breeding mares and, um, a really growing and budding program. And I was hired to be the farm and breeding manager of this um, facility. And um, we had about 150 horses, you know, give or take five or 10 at any really given time. Um, We had, we, we stood the stallion um, and he was our primary breeding stallion that was being used on the premises. Um, it wasn't for a few more years that we were using outside stallions on our stallions daughters. Um, so in addition to breeding our own mares on site, we were still shipping semen, um, had, um, farm management. It was almost 150 acres. So, you know, managing pastures and feed and bedding and, um, staff on site, et cetera, was part of my every day. Um, as well as um, becoming very close to our reproductive veterinarian because she was with me almost six days a week, um, working on mares and collecting the stallion, working with the babies, um, everything. So I I loved it. I I was close to home. I was close to my family and I was in a barn all day long. And um, basically the owner was an amateur herself. She was not a professional trainer. Um, and she had decided that she really needed to hire a professional trainer to work with the two-year-olds and the three-year-olds so that they could be more marketable. 
Um, and with American Saddlebreds, her primary market were not necessarily people in Minnesota, but Kentucky and Missouri and, and the Southern states. So she had people coming and traveling to Minnesota to view these young horses um, that really had no training under saddle yet. They had been handled in hand, um, you know, and could handle, you know, the, the stresses of growing up with the farrier and the veterinarian and all that, but they really didn't have any training. So she decided that we needed to hire a professional trainer to come in and start these babies. And so it was a day in July and it was like all hands on deck the day before this training candidate was coming to visit the farm. Um, we had carpenters in the barn, um, finishing up some just random things that hadn't been finished. We had a new load of shavings that had been delivered and we had a new load of hay that had been delivered. We emptied out one of the paddocks, the larger turnout paddocks where our mares and foals went to clean it out, you know, to make sure that they all looked pristine and clean. You know, they just, they accumulate manure after a few weeks and, um, we were dusting everything um, and we were just going through the day, but yet we were still breeding mares even at the end of July, you know, and, and ultrasounding to do preg checks. And so it was sort of up my normal business day, taking care and managing the horses with everything else going on. So we probably had <clears throat> 10 different people in and out of the barn all day long. Um, and I walked one of the bred mares back outside to her pasture and our veterinarian met me outside. And as I sort of alluded to, we became pretty close because we spent so much time together and very um, stoically and very calmly. She told me, Abby, the barn is on fire. I will go get our stallion, you go get our other stallion. We had a tease stallion. Um, I will call the clinic. You call 911 and then call the barn owner. The farm owner was at an adjacent property. She was also eight months pregnant. And um, so I went and I got our tease stallion um, who he was, he was my favorite <laughs> personally. Um, I kind of felt like he got the short end of the stick because he just had, a, he was just a tea stallion. Um, anyway, and then I had to call 911 yet. And, um, but the fire had already taken hold enough that um, we no longer had power. And that it was, this was 2007. So we were still regularly using landlines. We weren't relying on our cell phones so intensely at that point. So um, I actually had to walk to my office, which had um, porcelain tile floors. This is a fancy show barn with this tea stallion in my hands who had shoes on because um, I needed to get my cell phone, which was still you know an old flip phone. And I had already used my battery up for the day. So it was charging on my desk. So Prince and I walked through um, the office with the tile, porcelain tile floor um, to get my cell phone. And we walked out the front door of the barn and I was able to call 911 and then call my um, boss 
And um, the best way I can describe her um, driving skills that day was very Dukes of Hazard in her one-ton truck. She did not come in through the driveway. <laughs> she came um, barreling through um, the field and like, cause it was like a wetland almost between our two adjacent properties and just came barreling through. And at that point, um, our employees had just opened all of the stall doors and um, had to, like I mentioned earlier, we lost power already. So we couldn't get all of the exterior garage doors open. So they had to like manually pop them from their mechanical door openers and then lift them. And I remember trying to watch them open the very large door at the end of our arena, which was like massive, right? Cause you could get a semi through that door. And I just remember it took all four of them to try to lift that door so that horses could escape out the, that large door. Um, what else do I remember? I, I remember just horses running everywhere and, and remembering we have basically a menagerie of horses. We have multiple age groups. We had two-year-olds that were in the barn. We had mares and foals in the barn. Um, we had a total of 47 horses <clears throat> in the barn. The others were already housed outside because um, they were like the, the, the yearlings and the other two-year-olds still outside. Um, several, I think it was 14 um, pairs of mares and foals. Um, and they were just running. And then, of course, we had show horses, too. So there's these saddlebreds in their full tail sets, which ultimately look like a full harness, um, running around and commingling. And so there was a lot of um, chaos with that respect, um, because there's these show horses who I would call stall babies, um, who were kind of confused about being outdoors and loose and not controlled. You know, we could, we could ride them or drive them outside and they were fine, but here they were with no guidance. Um, had also just recently imported a Frisian stallion, a two-year-old Frisian stallion, and he was loose just running amok the property. Um, he really didn't know what to do because um, he wasn't really attached to anybody. He didn't have a stall buddy or like even a gelding or a pony. That was his pal. Um, he had just like within weeks just arrived from his quarantine, um, from his importation. So um, I remember him standing on a hill um, up behind the house um, just kind of scared and, and just sort of running away and, and like he wanted to hide, but yet he was this big black majestic thing, just standing on the hill by the house. Um, we, once we were confident, we got enough horses out and I say enough horses. Um, basically it got to the point where the fire department said we couldn't go back in. Um, it, we have a volunteer fire department, um, that came to handle the event. Um, they called in three other departments and, um, I remember calling our vet clinic <clears throat> and I was really kind of snarky 
Um, and I just remember saying, Dr. Kim is a little tied up right now. She won't be back to the clinic for a while. <laughs> <laughs> and that I, I just remember saying that. And then um, the receptionist on the other side was like, what, what's going on? And I was like, our barn's on fire. No big deal. <laughs> and um, they're like, oh my gosh. And um, they immediately went right into action. The veterinary clinic themselves or the hospital themselves. So they actually kind of rallied the troops and we had almost, um, I definitely, it was like a half mile, at least long line of trailers that showed up. Um, so they were able to really, that, that was, that fuels my, my job and extension now with emergency preparedness, like biosecurity is preparedness for a disease event, but also with, um, fire safety and that, because you need to know where those, people are that can help you. Um, and, and never did I think of preparing to have like the vet clinic on standby for that kind of thing. I assume they must have that sort of protocol, but never had I thought about calling. Um, so the long and short of it, um, we had two other vets show up from other clinics um, to help us triage horses um, to help us tranquilize anything that needed to be um, put on a trailer that hadn't been on a trailer before, um, tranquilize anything that needed to be treated on site. Um, and we ended up dispersing um, horses to seven different facilities and seven horses went to the veterinary hospital um, for smoke inhalation. Um, things like that. Um, no, no real burns. It was more all respiratory and inhalation type things. Or, um, I do believe one horse got kicked pretty good. I must've been outside when they were all co-mingling and co, um, habitating for a while. Um, and remember that paddock I told you we were cleaning out, we were really able to sort of push everything into that paddock. So we were at least able to contain them. Um, but of course there's, you know, little short horses with their tail sets on and mares and foals and, you know, young horses who didn't really know anything. So that was, it was kind of like the lesser of two evils. Do we have horses just running everywhere or do we just put horses who shouldn't be together in one spot? And, and we decided to contain at that point. And really that was, um, that decision was made for us by our fire departments because we didn't have local hydrants. So, um, because we were in a rural area, obviously. So they had to bring in tankers and, um, we had to have a clear driveway and the road needed to be cleared, um, to allow those tankers to come in with water so that they could fill their, um, they sort of have like a temporary pool that they would fill and then the tanker would leave and then refill um, and then the, the, that pool or that reservoir, that temporary reservoir that they set up is what the, the teams on site could use and pull from. Um, so they are the ones who kind of said, you need to contain these horses and put them somewhere. Um, they, I would also say, while I am a biggest proponent of emergency services, 
I'm also now, because of my experience, a proponent for having conversations with your local emergency um, first responders because they complicated our response as animal managers. Um, because they told us we couldn't move, we couldn't, they didn't even want us walking horses up the driveway to put them on a trailer to send them to the veterinary hospital. They didn't want that traffic interfering with what they were doing, whether they were people on foot or if a truck was coming down the driveway. Um, and I was actually taken back by how many of these rural people had no experience with large animals and were very intimidated by the presence of a horse. Um, and that really um, struck me. And so I try to really encourage now, even when I talk about this story with other um, livestock groups, um, I really encourage them to have those conversations with their local fire departments um, as early as they can as a preparedness step um, to get this on their minds. Like a lot, especially in Minnesota, a lot of our first responders and our volunteer departments, they do grain bin training all the time. But what kind of livestock training do they do? It, it, those programs don't exist in abundance like our grain bin training does. So um, eventually all of those animals that needed to be somewhere were um, transported. Um, we did walk the two stallions two miles down the road by hand um, to another farm that they could stay at temporarily. Um, and um, in the end, we did lose seven horses. Um, they were show horses who didn't feel they wanted to leave. Their stall doors were open. Um, we could tell by the steel, um, but we didn't, they didn't want to leave their, the comfort of their stalls. And then we did lose a mare and foal um, that was only a day old foal um, and didn't, hadn't gone over that stall door threshold yet. And that was super scary. So mama decided to stay. Um, the, the seven facilities that we were able to use, um, I will forever be indebted to them for their assistance. Um, and then we were able to find an empty facility about 35 miles away that they were able to rent um, for almost two years. So then all of the horses could um, move back to one, one place. Um, and um, they were able to, to lease that facility and then um, stay there until they were able to clean up and rebuild um, their, their farm which is amazing now, even more amazing than it was before. So Abby, the, did you ever find out what caused the fire? We did. And um, it was actually arson. Oh, no. And um, I, I mean, this, so this, this farm was only seven years old to start with. And it was a show barn, right? She has all these high dollar clients coming in. Every, all of the wood was freshly stained. So, you know, we had a lot of um, ignition sources, I'll say that, because we had just freshly stained all the stalls, all of the wood on the um, kick guard in the arena. Um, we have ferns hanging on every other stall. Um, but it was immaculately kept and that was the expectation. So, you know, the, as far as electrical wiring, it was new. Um, 
there were no cobwebs. You know, we power washed once a month, the entire premises. Um, you know, there were firewalls between where the hay was stored and um, the shaving storage area. So it was built well. Um, but yes, unfortunately, it was arson. Um, there were some I don't know the best way to word it, but they were um, transient criminals and that were sort of camping out in this rural neighborhood. Um, the, the neighborhood, I would consider there is a bunch, they're all like 40 acre farmsteads. So they're hobby farms or fruit and vegetable farms, things like that. And they're all just 40 acre type plots. And um, these criminals were, um, breaking into homes and stealing food and firearms. And they <clears throat> had actually broke into our, the farms, our farm's neighbor and um, to steal some food because they needed to eat. And they were looking for firearms um, in order to pawn them. And um, when they were in her house, she came home and um, they actually murdered her. And so they, <laughs> and so they, um, wanted to create, um, a distraction for law enforcement. So they came to our farm and started our brand new hay that had been delivered on fire with a cigarette. So they put a cigarette butt in our hay pile <clears throat> in the middle of the day. And so th it was, it was like two, two thirty in the afternoon. So it was the middle of the day and we were so busy. That's the one thing that I, I just can't get over really is how did we not notice a strange person on the premises in the middle of the day? But it was, yeah, a cigarette, a lit cigarette in, a, in the hay pile. I, I don't even know what to say. That's <laughs> quite a, <laughs> did everything right. And, and yeah. Yep. So, I mean, and accidents happen and that's the, that's the sad part. Um, but I mean, that kind of goes to show why we have no smoking in barns, um, and why that, that is really important. Um, even though it was fresh hay, it wasn't even dry, like old icky stuff. It was good, fresh alfalfa, fresh cut alfalfa. So yeah. Well, thank you, Abby, for sharing this story with us. Um, again, we're, we're trying to do this series to educate owners to to really do what they can to prevent um, such tragedies. I can't imagine what that was like to live through. And I'm assuming those memories are still pretty vivid um, for you. I can hear it, how you described uh, the events. They are. And um, it's nothing I wish anybody to experience. Like the smell will never leave my brain and my mental image. Um, the, the farm now um, has been sold, so they rebuilt it, but um, she ended up selling. And I know the people who are in it now and they're running a very successful training business. Um, and I've been there a few times. So um, that's sort of therapeutic to be back there, um, just to know that, you know, what, what can come from ashes essentially. Um, and, um, and to know, like the whole lessons learned thing, like what I wish I would have known. 
And that's what I really like to impress upon any of my extension audiences um, is how to prepare, even though you don't really want to think about that kind of an event, um, but just to have some sort of a plan laid out. Um, you know, we did have to call upon a lot of neighbors to get halters. We didn't have a stash of halters anywhere else but in the barn. Um, so there were a lot of these horses that were running around and we didn't have halters for them to even get them on a trailer to get them to the vet hospital or to a new shelter or a new home. So um, there's so many things that you can plan for, um, just like planning for your family in a natural disaster, or, you know, if you have your first aid kit or you have, you know, some stored food for when you have power outages or things like that, there's simple, small things you can do to prepare for those types of things with your horses, um, which are, are, is a small thing to do has a small impact on what you're doing now in, in what we would call peacetime. But, um, then they're there and they're ready for when you do need them or if your neighbor needs them. Um, that I'll always be grateful. Oh, I have goosebumps just thinking about that. Always be grateful to our horse neighbors and our horse community um, for really helping us through all of it. Yeah. Well, again, appreciate you sort of reliving this for us um, just as, uh, you know, telling people some tips and things that maybe they need to think about on that preparedness. We, we do everything we can to, to prevent or minimize the risk of fires. But, but as you said, when we, we think about preparing for everything, um, some of those mm -hmm. conversations and practices with, you know, where, where are your extra supplies or who is the neighbor that you're going to call um, yep. when something happens. So. Yep. Yep. Well, again, appreciate all the important work that you do, Abby, um, in your extension position and educating everybody um, within the livestock industry and the horse industry on, on some of these not fun topics. Uh, but definitely, we want to always be prepared. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Well, again, many, many thanks. And this has been our Tad Box Talk for Stories with a Purpose. Thank you.